0: This is a reading from 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and then jumping into chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come in like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God.
1: I'd like to invite you to participate in a little experiment with me this week and next week. I would like to know the shape of the unseen compassion of this congregation. I see the expression of compassion when you work around here or involve yourself in ministries around here, but many of you do things far beyond the walls of this church. You volunteer in this organization, or you support this, or you have a child that you sponsor, any of those types of things. What I'd like to ask you to do is write on a little piece of paper, use one of the communication cards, keep it anonymous, but tell me what you do in service to others outside the walls of the church. Write it down, fold it up, stick it in one of the boxes at the back of the sanctuary. I will never tell anyone what's involved in that. I just wanna see the footprint, the shape of the compassion of this congregation. And I invite you to do it this week and next week. So if it takes a little time, you're you know, volunteering 40 hours a week in ministry, in 12 different ministries, and you can't get it all in your paper, and you need some extra time, you can put it in the box next week. But if you help me that way, it will give me a better understanding of what this congregation is engaged in when it comes to compassion in others. I hope you're not too comfortable where you're sitting. I'm gonna get about halfway through this sermon. I'm gonna introduce the gospel text, which is from Matthew, and I'm gonna have you stand for that reading when it comes as you're able. So just so you're forewarned, we're gonna be in Matthew for a while. In Matthew's gospels, Most of the parables are gathered into three different collections. The first collection, you can find it about Matthew 13, and these parables generally all talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a sower who went out to sow. Good soil, hard soil, rocky soil, thorny, weedy soil. Or the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sowed good seed, but his enemy came at night and sowed weeds among the good seed. Or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Though tiny, it grows into a big shrub. And the kingdom of God is like yeast that works its way through the whole dough. The kingdom of God is like a treasure found in a field the kingdom of god is like a merchant who finds a priceless pearl all these are stories that try to illuminate some facet of what the kingdom of god is like the second collection of parables is found at the end of matthew 21 and into matthew 22 a man had two sons one said he would go to work but never does the other says he will not work What does? Who's doing the work of the kingdom? Or a landowner leases his vineyard to tenants, but when the harvest comes, the tenants refuse to pay what they're owed, and so the landowner sends his son, and the tenants kill the son, thinking they'll inherit the vineyard, but it does not go well for them. Or a king throws a wedding banquet for his son, and the invited guests just didn't come, and so, he sends his servants out into the streets and gets anybody who will to come into the banquet. And so the banquet hall is full, and when the king walks down into the banquet, he sees that even though the invitation was for anyone, some people had the nerve to show up without the wedding garments, and they got kicked out of the banquet. These parables deal with the obligations of the citizens of the kingdom. It's good to be invited but there are expectations for you and for me. The third collection of parables is the one I want to focus on for a few weeks. These are found in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45, and they run through Matthew 25. The setting of these parables places them right after Matthew collects all of Jesus' sayings about the end of the times, the coming of the age to come. And so he's talked about this apocalyptic event. And then right after that, we get these parables collected together for us here. So this is uh, Matthew 24. um, Excuse me, this is Matthew 25. And what was told to us in preparation specifically for this is that Jesus is coming again. That's the core message of Matthew 24. Jesus is coming again. And when we talk about that, we're talking about exactly what Paul was saying to the Thessalonian church that you heard Julia read just a minute ago, that we would not be ignorant of what's going to happen at the end of time, that Jesus is going to come back, he's gonna collect his people, and we're going to discover what he has in store for us. Jesus lived on the earth and was the incarnation of the Son of God. God's Son has always existed, but at one point in time, he took on flesh and became the God-man, Jesus the Christ. We will talk about that soon-coming king more specifically during the Advent season. Jesus then lived on earth after his incarnation. He taught us by his example how we ought to live. Then he suffered and died to reconcile us to God. After that, the Father raised him from the dead and he appeared to his disciples and his appearance answered the question for them, what will we look like after we're raised from the dead? The scriptures tell us that Jesus was the first fruits of those who were raised from the dead. That word first first fruits is essentially prototype. He's the prototype of what we will be like. So if you have questions about what we're gonna look like after we're resurrected, think back to the narratives that talk about what Jesus could do after he rose from the dead. That's the kind of bodies we get. Before he returns to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he told his disciples that they were to be his witnesses. And then, as he ascended into the sky, two angels appeared to the disciples and said, what are you standing here with your mouth open like? I mean, this same Jesus who you saw ascend is going to return in the same way you saw him go. That's Acts 111 right? He'll come back in the same way you saw him going to heaven. So Jesus is coming again. That's one of the anchors of our faith. We don't know when, but the three parables in this final collection of parables are going to address what are we supposed to be doing between now and the time he comes back again. That's what these stories are about. What are we supposed to be doing? What are the people who have committed themselves to the kingdom, who are following God, who are living by the Holy Spirit, what are they supposed to be doing between now and then? This is Matthew 24, verse 36 to 51. Would you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I confess there is some question about exactly what these verses at the, min- the beginning of this passage mean or imply. There's some different camps in Christianity about what these initial verses believe. Some people believe that when Jesus returns, he will sweep away all of his saints to join him in heaven, and everyone left behind will suffer here on earth for a set period of time. This is the perspective you hear if you read the left-behind series of books that have been very popular in recent years. Others believe that when Jesus returns, Christians who have already died will rise ahead of those who are still alive on the earth and then those who are still alive will join Christ in the air and he will usher in a new age where he will reign on the earth for a thousand years. In that system, The Christians are the ones who are left behind, while those who are not in Christ are swept off to earth, off of earth to eternal darkness. Folks who believe this second opinion sort of envision this return of all the saints meeting Christ in the air, and he returns to Jerusalem in triumphal procession, very unlike the last time he entered Jerusalem. you remember the last time he was sitting on a donkey on his way to be crucified? But this time he brings the whole kingdom with him and he enters Jerusalem to rule over the earth with the people of the kingdom of God. The mechanism of the system, the actual way he returns, it's not as important as the fact that he is returning, that he is coming. And since it seems to many people, many people who have read Bibles and studied the scriptures for years that it feels like his return is coming sooner than we've ever expected, we ought to be prepared for that day. This trio of parables in Matthew 24 and 25 tells us exactly how to wait for that day. The parable starts with a question. This is the question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? Remember, Matthew records Jesus previously telling us about the two sons. The two sons, one who said, I'll work, and then goes and does nothing. And the other son who says, I'm not working, and then goes and does the work. And so we've already had the stage set for this question of who is the faithful servant? This parable is addressed to Christian leaders. This parable is for pastors, deacons, elders, church board members, Sunday school, and Bible study teachers. Anyone who has been put in charge of the servants of the household is included in this parable. We are all servants in the house. We all have vital roles to fulfill within the house that represents the kingdom of God in this story. Not all of us are leaders and not all of us are charged with the care of the workers in the kingdom. As Paul has reminded us, the body has many members and all are vital to the functioning of the body. So all of us belong, all of us are members, and those of us who are placed in charge are not more important than any other members, but they do have a special responsibility. Leadership in the kingdom has already been defined by Christ. Just a few chapters back, Matthew reminds us that Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20. People selected to be leaders are selected for service. They must humbly Care for those entrusted to them. So, Julia, Chima, Terry, Martha, Bob, Donna, Ben, Mary, Cindy, John, George, Glenn, Rhonda, Dave, Danielle, Rick, Tanya, and all those elected to all our boards, all our Sunday school teachers, all our children, church workers, in whatever leadership you find yourself in, this parable is especially for you. Notice the work as it's described. The leader of the household, who is himself a servant, must feed the other servants who are working. The job of leadership in the church, this church and any church, is to encourage, resource, and feed all those who are working together in the kingdom of God. That's the task of leaders in the church of Jesus Christ today. These leaders serve as servants. But Jesus identifies a temptation. What if the leaders lose the sense of urgency? What if our leaders lose a sense of urgency? the master's taken a long time to come back. Can I slack off a little bit? What if they become lazy? What if they become self-indulgent? What might happen if those in charge didn't care for the servants? What happens if the regular servants, those who are not in leadership, aren't resourced, or fed, or kept at their tasks? I suspect there are some churches where this has already happened. A sense of urgency for the mission of God has been lost. Some pastors seek only to make their members comfortable rather than keeping them well fed. Some leaders have few expectations for their workers, allowing them to slack off and forget their duty. Workers who aren't fed properly, workers who are not trained and resourced, workers who aren't encouraged can lose focus and drift away. And before you know it, the whole house is a wreck and nothing works properly. I will grant you leaders this, The smooth operation of the kingdom of God isn't the sole responsibility of the leaders. Servants must cooperate with their leaders if the house is going to run smoothly. Leaders of the church have very limited opportunities when it comes to feeding the congregation. The leaders only get direct contact with all of the servants of the house a few hours every week. So leaders must create other times when the servants must be fed and they must point out where food can be found. Think of it like this. There is a lunch counter available to all of us every day. It is stocked by our leaders. Our leaders make sure to point us in the direction of the food, and they trust that during the week, you will eat at the lunch counter. On the weekend, they provide food for you directly, but at other times, you've got to feed yourself from what is provided. The only people that get fed directly during the week are the kids, right? The little ones don't know how to feed themselves. Parents do it for them. But a mark of growing up is that we learn how to feed ourselves, right? And what does it mean to be fed spiritually? It means prayer. It means Bible reading. All of those spiritual disciplines that have been the hallmarks of Christian spirituality through the ages are available to all of us all week long. Now, new Christians will need some extra help. But mature Christians can sink their teeth into the meat of the word of God all week long. They can handle their own steak knives, right? You have the opportunity all week because the resources have been provided to you to feed yourself. Imagine trying to exist on one meal a week. You think a 30 hour famine is hard. It takes cooperation for everyone to be fed on the spiritual food that God provides. And you are going to need to be fed if you are going to do the work assigned to you. The bottom line is this, we must all work together faithfully, consistently because we know an accounting is coming. Jesus will return and he will judge the quality of our work or the lack of it. He's going to judge the quality of the work or the lack of it. You heard the passage that we read together earlier in the service. There's only one foundation that can be laid, it's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we will all build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But on that day, what we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ will be tested. And it will be discerned at that time how we built. Did we build with excellent materials? Did we build according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Or did we MacGyver the house that we were going to live in? And grabbed a little bit here and and jury rigged this and and added on an extra addition where there wasn't supposed to be one off the side of the foundation with no underpinning and, and I can remember some years ago when Nancy and I lived in New York, we would drive over the bridge in the Thousand Islands to a settlement, a camp on Wellesley Island. And we always were curious to see a particular house because it seemed, with no rhyme or reason, the homeowner was always adding additions to his house, none of which matched anything else on the house. And so there was a patio here that was a different color. There was, there was something on the back that had different kinds of shingles on it, painted. I mean, it was crazy to see the hodgepodge of things that were built together. And you have to say, did anyone think through this plan before they started hammering up two-by-fours and adding plywood? It was hard to believe anyone had. But we build under the exquisite instruction of the Holy Spirit. There is a master plan. We are headed in a very particular direction. And he will instruct us not only how to build, but the materials to use in the building. And he will test our work on this final day of accounting. And we want to be those who have worked according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, doing the things he calls us to do in the way that he does them. We have to work together to achieve this. I don't know about you, but I want to be found faithful to his calling, to all of his assignments for me. I want to be a faithful leader in the house of of God, who together seek to glorify God, so that all the leaders and all the servants and all those who are serving God together can have a reasonable assurance that what we've done for Christ will pass his test at the end of our days. And so I ask some simple questions in closing. Leaders, are you fulfilling your duties to your faithful servants? Are you praying for your coworkers? Are you feeding them through encouragement and support? Are you assisting them as they learn to serve? by providing a humble example for them? Are you demonstrating the kind of diligence for the work of the kingdom that you hope to see in them? Are you aware that you will give an account for your efforts on behalf of the kingdom? Workers, are you praying for your leaders? Are you engaged in the work to which you have been called and for which you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit? Do you endeavor to make the tasks to which your leaders are called pleasant and pleasing to them? Or does the manner of your service make life difficult and frustrating for them? Are you encouraging your leaders, recognizing their sacrifices and efforts on your behalf? Jesus' words to us must be taken seriously. You heard these read at least once so far today. Blessed is the servant whose master finds him at work when the master returns. Blessed is the servant whose master finds him at work when the master returns. You understand that in the kingdom of God, we all serve And in terms of that particular kind of service, there's no retirement. Are you you aware of that? I mean, we may retire from our means of employment and switch to other things, but, but we don't ever retire from our role as servants in the kingdom of God because we serve till Jesus comes. Now the type of service we do may vary in different seasons of our lives. We may be able to do more at some times and less at other times. It's never less if we're doing the thing that the Spirit calls us to do. It's what's appropriate. It's what we're being led to do at this particular season of our life. And there's no exemption clause on this. There's no I'd rather, there's either in the kingdom or trying to be something different. And there's going to be accountability when he comes. He's going to say, what you been doing while I was gone? I don't know how it was in your house when you were a kid, but I was the oldest of four, which meant I was the chief babysitter and bottle washer for some periods of time. And since there were four of us running over the house loudly, my parents did like to get away from us from time to time. And we could pretty much do what we wanted while they were gone, but there were certain rules. When they got back, right, the dishes needed to be done and put away, right? No clothes left on the floor anywhere. All the furniture back in its original position, Right? All those things had to be done before they came back. Now they told us, in fairness, we won't be back before nine, okay? So we knew we had some time to wait, but as it's starting to get closer to nine, whose job was it to say, hey, we better get this place in shape before mom and dad comes back, because there's gonna be problems if it's not when they come through the door, right? And the problem for us is this. I think it's way past nine o'clock. Jesus is coming back and there's gonna be an accountability and he's given us responsibilities and friends, it is time to be ready. It is time to get to work and make sure that we are ready when the master returns. I don't know exactly what your responsibilities are in the kingdom, I don't know what it is you ought to be doing. I know what some of you who are leaders should be doing many of whom are faithfully doing just that. But together, together, we must prepare for the return of our king because there will be an accountability. And I, will be, I would be less than a faithful servant if I didn't tell you so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You know us and you know whether we are gainfully employed at the moment or we are slackened. You know if we are pursuing our own interests or are embracing what you call us to do and to be for your kingdom. You already know the quality of the work we're doing. But we invite you, Holy Spirit, to give us direction to inspect our work in advance, to show us how we can please you best. Because Lord, we do love you, and we do want to serve you, and we do want to be at our best for you. Be patient with us, please, Lord Jesus, as we listen, as we engage. May all of our days be lived in faithful service to you. Amen. You stand with me as we sing a closing hymn together.
2: Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move At the impulse of thy love Take my feet and let them be Swift and beautiful for thee Swift and beautiful for my sermon
1: text now for the next two weeks. You can read this passage and the next one and the next one and get familiar with Matthew 24 to Matthew 25 and when we get together again we'll all be on the same page. May the Lord keep you employed. May the Lord bless your labor. May your labor be meaningful in terms of the kingdom that your lives may shine to the glory of God now and always. Amen. Go in peace.